Thank you, Jill. Now, at the, at the risk of seeming uh, to be self-indulgent, um, I want to begin by saying a couple of things about myself. First of all, um, some of you may know that one of my leisure interests is playing golf badly. Can we have the picture, please? Um, I play so badly, I have to say, that um, for me, golf isn't so much a, a sporting activity, it's more an excuse for a bit of fresh air, a bit of exercise, with some good company in attractive surroundings. If I'm honest, my level of confidence hasn't improved noticeably in all the years that I've been playing. But a couple of years ago, um, I read an article um, which provided some degree of comfort about my ongoing incompetence. The gist of the article was that there are some activities which we learn once and never forget, unless for medical reasons. So walking, talking, and swimming would come into this category. However, the game of golf uses a completely different part of the brain, apparently, so that every time I attempt to hit a golf ball, I have to relearn all the basic points, how to hold the club, to keep my head still, how to stand in relation to the ball, how to swing the club. And I guess that's why even the best golfers in the world are capable on rare occasions of copying some of my very worst shots. But the second thing I want to share about myself concerns the re recent church weekend away. For those of you who weren't there, the focus was the Lord's Prayer. Now, over the years, I guess I've said this prayer several thousand times. I've heard a dozen or more sermons about it, and I've even preached a sermon about it myself. There's nothing much more to learn, was the thought going through my mind at the start of the weekend. But the Lord's response to me was something along the lines, think again, mate, because I think like a lot of others, I learned a huge amount. Well, that's all very fascinating, I hear you say, but what's that got to do with the price of parsnips? Well, simply this, because it all links with what Paul, part, uh, Paul writes at the start of Philippians chapter 3, the latest passage in our series on the letter to the Philippians. Let me quote from the message translation of the verse, which is rather more direct than our church Bibles. Paul writes, I don't mind repeating what I've written in earlier letters, and I hope you don't mind hearing it again. Better safe than sorry. Every time I play a golf shot, I have to absorb the basic techniques I first learned 50 years ago. Every time I open the Bible, there are old lessons to be underlined, just as there are new lessons to be absorbed for the first time. 
And in these opening verses of Philippians chapter 3, Paul is addressing perhaps the central elements of the Christian message, about which he's clearly written to his readers on an earlier occasion. It's an issue which many of us, like the readers of Paul's letter, will be very familiar with. And precisely because it is so familiar, we can take it for granted, just as we can recite the Lord's Prayer, parrot fashion. So what exactly is this issue? Well, despite first appearances, it, what it certainly is not is Pete Ford's specialist mastermind topic of circumcision. Now, for those of you not in the know, over many years, whenever a passage about circumcision has cropped up, it's usually been Pete that's had to preach on it. Well, no. The issue in these verses is this. How can we, imperfect, sinful beings, ever be accepted by a perfect, holy God? It's an issue which Toby here will have to address in the fullness of time. And Paul's answer is simply this. By putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you may well say, unlike Toby, I know that already. I've heard it dozens, maybe hundreds of times. But you know, we can't hear the great truths of the Christian message too often. Just as we don't tire of the foods that are the essentials of life. And no, I don't mean cake and chocolate. So, what I want to do this morning is to pose four brief questions about what Paul has to say. Question one. Why does Paul repeat himself? Because some of the Jews who'd become Christians were saying, God won't accept you unless you're circumcised. It was an important point of debate which prompted an early council of the church in Jerusalem. We read in Acts chapter 15 and verse 1, some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. The book of Acts doesn't recall what Paul said at the Jerusalem Church Council. But here in Philippians chapter 3, he doesn't mince his words. Again, this is how the Message Bible puts it. Steer clear of the barking dogs, those religious busybodies, all bark and no bite. All they're interested in is appearances. Nice, happy circumcisers, is what I call them. The real believers are the ones that the Spirit of God leads to work away at his ministry, filling the air with Christ's praise as we do it. Even this translation isn't really strong enough because in verse 2, Paul is using a play on words, something along these lines. These people 
think they are circumcised. In point of fact, they're just mutilated. So this leads us to question two. Why does it matter? You could just click it on for me, please. Why does Paul get so worked up? I mean, let's face it, all this talk about circumcision is way off my radar. I don't know about yours. And it doesn't exactly generate much interest at all in the media. Well, it matters because the people that Paul calls dogs were misrepresenting the central truth about Jesus Christ, which Paul and other writers explain in the pages of the New Testament. And the central truth is this, that in order to be accepted by God, we simply need to place our trust in Jesus Christ. Although Jesus committed no sin, he was put to death. And in so doing, he carried the burden of your sin, of my sin, of all sin. And the sign of his victory over sin and its outcome death came with his resurrection on the first Easter morning. Now in 2018, I personally don't know of anyone who would say you have to be circumcised in order to be accepted by God. But I do know of those who say, in effect, yes, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ does draw us to God. But to be accepted by him, there are other things you have to do. Some people say you have to join our particular group. And I'm reminded of a time quite a few years ago now when we used to have joint services with the Roman Catholics and the Methodists. And I remember very vividly the first of those services. It was held in the Roman Catholic Church in Weston Lane. And when it came to the sermon, the priest went into the pulpit, paused, and declared, God is not a Catholic. God is not an Anglican. God is not even a Methodist. And I, for one, say amen to that. And then there are other people who will tell us, well, you can't be a true Christian unless you participate in certain ceremonies or rituals. And yet others say you have to have a particular experience of God. But the message of Philippians chapter 3 is echoed by Peter in verse 18 of chapter 3 of his first letter. Peter wrote, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So this then leads to question three. Who needs to hear this message? Well, to use Paul's own words in verse three, the people who need to hear are those who place their confidence in the flesh. Well, that's great, but what does it mean? It simply means this. It's those who choose to live their lives without reference to God. And crucially, this includes humans not just 
at the point of their lowest failure, but also at our highest pinnacle of development and achievement. And Paul emphasizes this by listing his own impressive religious credentials in verses 4 to 6. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Well, the modern equivalent might be baptized as a baby. One of the people of Israel, born into a Christian nation with an established church. One of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm from a respectable Christian family going back generations. Pillars of the church. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Here Paul is saying that although he was born in the non-Jewish city of Tarsus, he was so loyal a Jew that he'd learned the Hebrew tongue, unlike most Jews outside Palestine. Modern equivalent might be, I've got a first-class degree in theology. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. I live by strict Christian standards. As for zeal, persecuting the church. I stand up for what I believe against those who disagree with me. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. I rigidly follow the commands of God in the Bible. By any measure, Paul's achievements were highly impressive. So what's his own verdict on himself? Again, listen to the Message Bible's take on verses 7 to 9. Paul says the very credentials that these people, that's the dogs he talks about in verse 2, the very credentials that these people are waving around as something special, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the rubbish along with everything else. Everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant, dog dung. I've dumped it all with the rubbish so that I can embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I don't want some petty, inferior kind of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. In the language of accountancy, add up all the great list of Paul's impressive religious achievements and his life before he surrendered to Christ still comes out in the red. In the words of the hymn, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. So in 2018, the message of Jesus to the religious leader Nicodemus in John chapter 3 verse 3 is as much for an upright person like Paul as for the worst sinner on the planet. Jesus told Nicodemus 
I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So this final question. How are we to respond? You know, if I were to offer you uh, a chocolate bar, I'd offer it with no strings attached. The chocolate wouldn't depend on you keeping all God's laws laid out in the Old Testament. Because if, they di if it did, just one slip-up would cancel your right to have the chocolate. All you'd have to do is have faith that my offer was genuine and accept it. And when verse 9 speaks of faith in Christ, the original words contain the idea of leaning heavily on Christ. Having faith in Christ isn't about striving to achieve a standard, but it's the very opposite. It's a halt to striving. There may be folk here this morning who need to make this response to Christ for the first time, to acknowledge that we can't strive to make ourselves good enough for God, but we need to ask for his cleansing and forgiveness. And there may be others who've already done this, perhaps long ago, and who are finding Christian living a hard struggle. We're like that. Maybe we need to learn afresh to lean heavily on Christ for support. To both groups of people, I'd encourage you to respond. Maybe by receiving prayer ministry out there in the prayer room after the service. Or maybe by talking and praying with someone that you trust and respect. One final thought as I finish. Could you put the picture up, please, that was there as I started to speak? What was that all about? Well, you see, it sums up in very simple terms the core message of today's passage. The way to God is not by a staircase where we have to put in all the effort, but by a lift where all the effort has been exerted by Jesus, crucified and resurrected. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness. Let's respond to the message of Philippians chapter 3 by singing. We're going to sing before the throne of God above. I have a strong, a perfect plea a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Let's stand together and sing.